Yeah, so what I was saying, you know, just being here in the studio, getting set up, and uh, come over to my seat, and the mic isn't is not set up, and I'm thinking, where the hell is my roadie? Yeah, to set me up, and it reminded me of the old days when I was pretending to be a rock star. Now I'm pretending to be a podcaster, but mm-hmm. back then I was pretending to be a rock star, and we would get these shows where we would open up for. We were like opening up for Machine Head at um, the Crazy Donkey on Long Island. And we thought, like, we made it. Like, I this can't is believe huge. You, you don't have a record contract. No, no, no record contract. And, uh, but I just remember, like, Machine Head had two buses outside. They had a team of people setting up their whole shit, like, hours before they got on stage. Yeah. And we had to set up in front of their stuff. Right. Which was already kind of, like, yeah. demoralizing. You can see all their nice equipment behind oh, it's you. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And then they covered up, and they're like, you're not, don't touch any of this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so the roadies are telling you, you know, giving you an attitude. And it's your turn to go on, and you, you know, in the dark, behind this curtain, you get to put your amp up there. And then you play, and there's a big crowd, and you know they're just waiting for Machine Head. They don't care about us, right? And then you come off, you feel like a rock star, and then you got to go back out in front of everybody, and you know be your own roadie. Put the stuff back <laughs> yeah, in the van. Put the stuff, yeah, back in the van. Um, very excited to uh, to record the show today. Uh, before we start the show, this episode is brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. The what? What is Patreon? <laughs> It is a members-only subscription service that gives us the latitude to create more content, get backstage dirt, and a closer connection to the Monkster community while financially supporting the Herculean efforts required to keep the RMA movement moving forward. It certainly does seem Herculean. Uh, I think I overwrote this. Um, members will Not get you. <laughs> members will get extra mini shows, maybe sometimes full shows. You know, pictures, exclusive merch for joining. We're working on that, and an added <laughs> level of support. For all of our recoveries. That's is, right. You know. Um, you pay us money, we support your recovery. Well, we all do it together. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's hard to, it's already hard to make a lot of time for doing this right. And uh, we want to do more. Um, but in order to re- justify it to our wives and families, uh, you know, it has to <laughs> not cost us stuff. So well, that's um, the problem. But it's a lot of fun and it makes us feel good. So go to patreon.com, recover. Uh, Patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages to learn more and sign Aren't up. Aren't you going to spell that? R-E... No, no, no I, don't do that. I won't do that. Anyway, we are committed to taking it to the next level and delivering the goods. Um, and We have that, a few, don't we? Yeah. A who, few people have already signed up. Yes. God knows why. There's some stuff on there already. We're getting a hang, but yeah. Elizabeth, uh, Bo, Corey, the lone twat wharf dad. He's, Matt, Nat wrote that, not me, the and uh, Melissa. Yes. Thanks, guys. Yes, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I've already profusely uh, thank you for coming on. But so I'll back off a little yes. bit. But uh, yeah, I said the lone twat, uh, Wharf Dad, because he's the only reason now that I tweet anything because he's the one fan. Wow. He's the one monster who actually uses Twitter. Yes. Yeah. So he's the lone twat. Well, it's a very middle aged crowd. I don't think a lot of them know how to use Twitter. Yeah. Well, I certainly hardly do. I prefer not to use Twitter. To be, uh, but thanks for your support. This is going to be fun. 
And we're back. Welcome and to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And boy, well, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA, the pressure mounts as Christmas... I'm sorry, you should read that. You wrote it. Go ahead. <laughs> Today... Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Go ahead. Today on RMA, the pressure mounts as Christmas Day looms large just over the horizon and saddle up. The recovery horse says we ride with Paul Churchill, architect and creator of the Recovery Elevator Empire. We are very excited to have Paul Churchill on the show today. Um, Hopefully he shows up because I sent him a confirmation email and he did not respond. I thought I saw a response to that. This morning? Um, no, last, last night? night. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I saw, yeah, I'll be there. I'm looking forward to oh, it. Oh, okay. And Whew. then I typed a whole thing back to him like we're so happy to have you and this is going to be great and then i looked at it and i'm like i'm not going to send that yeah, it's a little too that. yeah so right. i didn't i've been doing that a lot lately where i'll 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 get an idea i'll see something on a post and i'll just type a bunch of comments and i'm like and then i don't post it i've been doing that in the uh the local parent group lately because of the controversy over um controversy. yes over over the children having to wear masks for their choral presentations this time of the year and yeah. there's been quite a kerfuffle uh, about that. <laughs> and I've, I've resisted the urge uh, to weigh in, and I, I attribute that to meditation uh, or to, a, as Paul Churchill is fond of saying, you know, you are not your thoughts. You need to take a step mm. back from the little interior voice in your head that's telling you to do all of this weird sh and bad shit. Yeah. And if you just create some distance between those thoughts and your next action, mm. uh, you end up fighting a lot less with the soccer moms on, uh, on Facebook. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real Zen move. Um, and I, I'm reading more and more about, you know, I've been identifying with this idea of the inner addict for a long time, as soon as I first heard the, the notion. And now it's like a synchronicity. I'm seeing it in, you know, a lot of the books we've been reading uh, mention some version of, you know, separating from your ego and these passing thoughts are not you and all of that. And the, the inner addict is the same thing as the addictive voice that Jack Trimpey was talking about a few weeks ago, right? Yes. It's that... that stream of thoughts that is not actually you. It's yeah, this yeah. discrete thing inside of you. Yeah. And it's amazing. We, we see this in so many different speakers and, and they use different words to describe it. And it's like, reminds me of the Shakespearean quote, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So they're like kind of all describing the same thing with different words, the uh, inner yes, addict, yes. it's uh, whatever. And, uh, and so Paul talks about that a lot. Um, and maybe what, uh, you guys out there might not know. We've mentioned it before, but recovery... Paul has a poodle. Uh, he has a poodle named Ben. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what you were going to no, say. I was going to say, Recovery Elevator is responsible for Mike and I coming out of the closet to each other. You know what? Let's, sounds, let's tell that super. story again <laughs> yeah. when Paul is on the phone. Right. So this is sort of an important thing. Yeah. His podcast, right. uh, Recovery Elevator, which... Um, it's it really helped both of us. Mm -hmm. He and, may be happy to hear that yeah. he was the genesis the, the genesis of us uh, creating a competing podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm sure he would agree that we're not exactly competing with no, his podcast. We're, we're a small, small fish in a large pond. Yeah. So, um, so well, yeah. that reminds me. Yesterday, you know, I was I was considering doing this naked mind uh, coaching certification. Yeah. Until I found out what the price was. Right. And, uh, and I also had to check out how much time I had versus the reality of all that. So anyway, so the guy who was supposed to interview me as my last um, hurdle for joining the program, uh, I canceled my interview with him when I decided not yeah. to do it. And 
I said, you know, uh, not only you know do I have a full time job, but I'm also doing this podcast. And he wrote back, "Hey, I have a recovery podcast too." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I guess everybody has a recovery podcast." Yeah. But his recovery podcast uh, is actually good. I listened to it oh. yesterday on the way to pick up my son. Um, you would think that I would have, if I was going to plug it, I would remember the name, but yeah. uh, I'll have to put that on later. But anyway, uh, he had on William Porter. Do you know who William Porter is? Mm, I don't think so. He wrote a, a book very similar to Alcohol is Shit and oh, okay. Annie's book. And it was sort of that uh, triumvirate of books that That's got true. me beginning my recovery journey. So I was pleased to see that. And he has volunteered to come on our podcast. Really? Of course. Not William Porter, but the not the, the other guy. Lovely. I think um, he's British, so he'll he'll be British. his accent will be interesting. Great. So all to. of our UK fans out there will feel at home. Uh, speaking of, I'd like to welcome all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. <laughs> welcome all. Thank Settle you. in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? <clears throat> if you Finger your keyboard. Thank you for that, Nat. Yeah, uh, leave that in there. Yes, you can log on to middleagesrecovery.com, listen to past shows, buy some merchandise through the web store. So as I uh, indicated in my uh, my shameless plug for uh, you to buy merchandise yesterday, everybody, um, if you order today or tomorrow or even on Sunday, there's a very good chance that you will receive your branded oh, yeah. Recovery in the Middle Ages um, swag before Christmas because we ship Three day, uh, oh. USPS. Yeah. So, so you want you want to now is your last chance to tell your relatives that they have a drinking you, problem by <laughs> buying them an RMA shirt uh, or a sticker for your laptop. Um, but once you're over there on middleagesrecovery.com, you can fill out our tell us your story form and tell us your story. Yes. Selected entries will be read on the show. Uh, also, I think our uh, RMA hotline is still up. You can call us at 516-888-6297. See, I We're looking for stories of what your recovery looks like. And if you were so inclined, some of your thoughts on the show and a holiday message for the upcoming holiday special, which will drop on uh, Christmas Eve. Yes. Is that wise? I don't Should know. we drop a show on Christmas Eve? Will anyone listen to it? I don't know. I think so because... People were like off of work. They're at their relative's house maybe and they don't want to listen to what the relatives are saying to them and right. criticizing them or whatever. Yeah. So you just put in the podcast, get your earbuds in. Yeah, grab a Pepsi, go hide in the closet. Kick and listen back to us. in your ugly Christmas sweater for the sweet sounds of RMA. We will uh, we will select some of those uh, voicemails. If not, we'll try to get to them all. We have a ton. It's just so, uh, guys, thank you for calling in and leaving these messages. I feel like this should be an ongoing thing for the show. Like, yeah, you know, I love it when I hear that stuff on Dopey when the people call in. Right, right. Uh, so I guess it would be a direct ripoff of that. Uh, but I think it's a great idea. So giving attribution where it is deserved. Also, go to go to the Apple Podcast app if you can and leave us a five star review. I, I got some one of the one of the people that left a voicemail said that he tried and he was unable to execute on that. So mm. I don't know. I don't know. It should, might have been something uh, on Apple's end. Right. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, our private Facebook group, uh, which um, Nat and I are very active in. Uh, like our public-facing Facebook page, and then we will we can invite you into the uh, inner sanctum. Yeah. Not the inner inner sanctum, and, and if, but the inner sanctum. I think even if they're not likers <laughs> of the page, they can go to the sign-up link, but I'm not sure. I don't know. And Facebook is fucked. I hate them. Yep. Um. 
Finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you yeah. get something out of it, share the love and help grow the RMA movement. Uh, a word on that. Uh, I had a, a fan um, message us last, I don't know if you saw this or not last, maybe the day before, and said, you know, he's been listening since the beginning, you know, just said some really nice things and was like, what can I do to help? Is there anything you like need me to do or just kind of like just wanting to help out? And I you said, can write a check to fill it. I said, share it, you know, like go to other recovery groups, you know, cause if we go on and, and push our own podcast, this right. is not met with, you know, smiling faces. So well, it depends. It depends if you're yeah. anonymous and doing it under a different name or something, <laughs> but um, I'm yeah. semi anonymous, you know, point. share it. So we do have a story. Sort of, right? This is a response. We do. We do. It's right? A, or is this a review? I'll read it. Uh, read it. This is from the um, a very new monkster. Her name is Julie. We spoke about her a little bit last week um, during Monsters Speak, and I accused her of being a professional piano player. <laughs> and she writes, good morning, Nat. Listen to this week's podcast, of course. And again, I loved it and learned so much from it. Thank you. And yes, I do play piano for a living. I am an orchestra pianist, and I also do musical theater, play in a few bands, and do a lot of musical arranging. And cool. are you single? That's what I'd like to know. Are you? No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying it sounds like the perfect woman. Um, I'm grateful that work came... I'd like to think your wife is the perfect woman. <laughs> of course she is. I'm talking parallel universe. Okay, right. I'm grateful that the work <laughs> that work came back last year. I know that a lot of people in recovery benefited when COVID happened since it gave them a reset. I unfortunately went in the opposite direction. Since my work came to a screeching halt, I used it as an excuse to drink a lot and often. Uh, when the world started to bounce back, I was slow to respond, and only recently am I starting to find my footing again. I've gone so I've gone for so long without caring, uh, and I know it's because of alcohol. Absolutely, that apathy just kind of seeps yes, in, the man. Feeling of inner oh, deadness. It's yeah. uh, no fun. I was an anhedonia. I, yes. Great word, yes. anhedonia. Thank you, Ryan, from Rehab, who typed that in a comment this week. Yes, appreciate I love that it. Word. I wasn't close to being as productive as I could have been during the quarantine. Now I have multiple projects happening this coming year, and I have no choice but to be productive. That's my biggest inspiration to stop drinking. That, and I just owe it to myself. I joined Cafe Ari a month ago. Wow. Um, Cafe Ari, for the listeners, that's the guest we're having on is his therapeutic community. Um, actually, I don't know if we could call it therapy. It's the private recovery support group online. Right. So she's a member of that. So uh, hopefully she'll like this. Well, it was very apropos of our yeah. uh, episode this week to find a Cafe RE member. How did uh, that happen? That was not on purpose. Hmm. Um, they have been turning points for me. For the, last, for the first time in a long time, I am able to go days on end without alcohol and realize the psychological and emotional benefits. I'm working towards getting 100% alcohol free. I am so grateful to you and your willingness to share so much every week with your listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Merry Christmas. Sincerely, Julie, or as I now call her, Julie Keys. <laughs> she is the the official Monkster Bard. Mm. Maybe she can write uh, one of those songs that you were promising the people as part of our Patreon. Yeah. So, Julie, you may or may not know that I'm uh, a music school dropout. Um I, was, I went to the Crane School of Music. For, I was a senior when I changed majors. And, uh, and I just, I don't know, I relate. Every time I meet someone who is like doing what you're doing, uh, I do have a little bit of that, like, man, the road not traveled. Like, I was on a track where I could have been, 
you know, a music teacher or, you know, I could have been playing professionally and, you know, even if it was just in a pit band and like, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have illusions of grandeur or delusions. Um, just to be a working musician, I don't know, it was a dream of mine. It's something I worked to become for a long time and, and uh, my life didn't go that way. And a lot of it was because of drugs. Yeah. And I mean, Julie, you're working on being 100% alcohol free and that is awesome. Uh, I think you're going to notice if you haven't already that your playing is going to improve yeah. immeasurably because, you know, I'm just a little guy who sits in my living room and hacks away on an acoustic guitar, but... Uh, I noticed I was able to hit notes and I wasn't as... It's amazing. Uh, you know how you, your mind just kind of like can see more measures into the future. You know what I mean? It's, and it's very sort of a weird thing, but how yeah. it, the mind works with music. But. I've been noticing that too. You know, I, you, you know, drugs and music and alcohol went together for me for so long. I didn't think I could do it without taking it. So only recently I've picked up my guitar again. I've been playing... And the way I get back into guitar is I don't, I don't know a lot of songs. I never was in cover bands. I studied classical guitar and I wrote rock music. You're and, like a real musician. Well, <laughs> but I, I always wished I could be one of those guys. That's why when you play those songs, I'm so impressed because I never took the time to learn like all the James Taylor stuff I wanted to learn. And, um, but in any case, now when I'm practicing and I'm sober, I'm noticing that I'm like, wow, this sounds pretty good. Whereas I have a memory more than one memory of myself being like cracked out or wasted playing the guitar and not being able to even play things I wrote. Mm -hmm. And that frustration of my brain is thinking of this one idea, but the hands can't do it. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's so great. And uh, I'd love to hear from you about that, Julia, and, the, and how you're, how you're playing and practicing changed. Um, probably no one else wants to hear about that, but you know, um, we're, we're interested. Yeah. So. Very interested. Yeah. Um, and what, and that brings us to, uh, Monsters speak. Speak. So uh, a good one this week, Nat. I was I actually was thinking of dropping one. Uh, uh, maybe I'll do next week. But um, this is great because uh, the question this week that you posed to the group was, how do you feel about the term alcoholic? Which is a very apropos question because our guest this week, Paul Churchill, writes in his book, Alcohol is Shit, uh, that he broke up with the word alcoholic. And I'm going to ask Paul, or we're going to ask Paul, yeah. uh, what his feelings are about the word alcoholic. Yeah, so, because that book was written, what, like four years ago? 2019. So, you know, I bet you some uh, of his opinions and, you know, things have evolved. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, as long as you're alive, you're evolving, right? I think the ayahuasca that he got into was after the book? No. Oh, it was before. before. Okay. Yeah, because he mentioned... Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, he mentioned making up... In the book, he wrote about how they... When they went down there for the ayahuasca ceremony, they made up t-shirts that said uh, Ego, Ego Dissolution Tour 2019 yeah. or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah. uh, so anyway, um, we got probably more response on this question than we've gotten on any other one. Yeah. It's really interesting it's, that how people... What people feel about this word and, and how they... Yeah you know, internalize it's a, it to It's a them. lightning rod. So uh, do you want me to read the first one and then we can take yeah, turns? You may. Okay. <laughs> so Chase S. says, I am neutral. <clears throat> I like it as a tool to identify my issue that even a normie can understand. Mm. A regular person is going to be a little lost if I say alcohol abuse disorder or the newest treatment term, non-prescription opiate medication abuse. Ooh, I don't know that one. I don't know that one either, I but like it. that is a lot to say. I know. <laughs> How about like a NPOMA? Yeah, even right? better. Yeah. Uh, otherwise known as an addict. I personally think if it offends you, that is your problem for giving some silly letters that much power over your emotional state. Just an opinion, though. Interesting. Um, 
I, I mean, per- personally, I don't think there is much of a difference between a normie and someone who's addicted to something. I think, well, I think it's every normie has a chance to end up at the other end of the spectrum given the right circumstances. Yeah, and and that's some of the thinking I'm hearing coming out of um, like Annie Grace and some of those books we've been reading is this idea that there it's not an alcoholic and everybody has potential to become addicted or is on some sl- uh, some part of the sliding scale yeah, there's a towards slope. dependence. Right. And, you know, the further you crawl down into the pitcher plant, the more likely it is you're going to get stuck. That's it. Anna Q says, I prefer to think of myself as addicted to alcohol. It's a highly addictive drug after all. Uh, the ick doesn't particularly offend me, though. This interview sounds good. Uh, that's a good way. to. I, I like that. Addicted to alcohol because it's a highly addictive drug. It's called alcoholism, not alcoholism. Well, that forecloses the possibility for recovery, doesn't it? Complete mm. recovery. Alcoholism. Wasm. Uh, Lisa, Lisa D. Lisa D says, ah, Paul Churchill. I listened. <laughs> I don't know how to re- what inflection that comes from. Uh, I, I listened to Recovery Elevator regularly in early sobriety, as did I. Uh, I feel more comfortable saying I'm a woman in long-term recovery. I was told in AA meetings out of respect to say I'm an alcoholic, but I stopped a few years ago. It's too negative for my journey right now. I definitely abused alcohol, so I could say that. Yeah, yeah. sure. There, there's a, a, a side of the coin, I guess you could say, where people call themselves junkies when they're recovered or in recovery. Uh-huh. And it's like, there's this debate, you know, um, is it a good idea, like after you've, you know, you're in recovery and you're not using to continue to call yourself junkie but some people they're like it's one of those things like that's our word it's like you're owning it and mm-hmm. i've heard you know their opinion on why it's important to them to continue to identify as a junkie even though they're no longer you know on the streets and, and using so it's wouldn't interesting it, wouldn't it be more appropriate to say i'm a potential junkie again or something yeah or to say <laughs> um you know i have a non-prescription opiate medication abuse <laughs> yeah. disorder right uh cory cory c says, personally, I personally don't label myself. I am no longer addicted to alcohol because I stopped drinking it. Hmm. Just like I am no longer addicted to nicotine because I stopped smoking cigarettes. The only difference is that I never feel compelled to make excuses for why I don't smoke. Well, that is true. Alcohol is that thing that makes you have to excuse yourself why you don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody asks the same question about cigarettes. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um Tony W. says, I have an alcohol dependency issue. I'll always have that as an issue, just like I used to smoke. I can't smoke socially. If I smoke a cigarette, I'll quickly be right back in the habit. If you call that an alcoholic, that's okay. Mm. That's and, the uh, other side of that coin. Yeah, and uh, Tony is in Kentucky, and he's, uh, where he lives has been uh, hit pretty hard by the um, Oh, yeah, that's Tony, Tony. Tornado. So our heart goes out to you, Tony. Um, and, uh, you know. Let us know you're doing good. You've, he's still been posting on the group, so he's live. Well, he said that his he area was, was not overly affected, but yeah. you know, a place where he used to live and where he knows a lot of yeah. people got hit pretty hard. So. And I can't even imagine yeah. um, the trauma of it's like the end of the world, it looks like. You know? Yeah, it looks really terrible. Uh, Hope says, I am a woman of many labels. And yes, alcoholic is one, but I'm not defined by anyone. I share here because, in a sense, it's anonymous. Uh, except I just called your name out, but I didn't read your last name. Uh, out in the world, though, I prefer to keep my non-drinking status to myself. Uh, if I'm asked why I don't drink, I just reply, I don't. No further explanation needed. No, it's a complete sentence. 
Uh, thank you, Hope. Yeah. Yeah, I just wonder what the, what the point of, of a self-label like that is. Uh, I think of it like it helps to name the problem so that you can wrap your mind around it and then get your, you know, your treatment in order. So, well, maybe terminology needs to change as, you know, I mean, in the DSM diagnostic statistical manual, they've changed the definition of alcohol abuse many times and they call it by, by different things as time goes by to be more specific about what it is. Right. Yeah. Like alcohol use disorder as opposed to alcoholic. It's like, I feel like you can't treat it if you don't name it. You know, I always liken it to, you know, uh, since I love paranormal stuff, like a demon possession in the movies and uh, reports are like, once you learn the demon's name, then you have power over it. Yeah, and that's, that's why they don't want to give up the name. And That, that sounds like AA to me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> give up the ghost. Um, Amy E. says, this is a great discussion. We don't call people who are addicted to heroin uh, hero, heroinics. Heroinics or addicted to nicotine. Nicotin, nicotinics. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy that we quit, uh, get healthy, and when we are no longer taking the drug of choice, uh, we are punished or labeled with a problem. I didn't have a rock bottom, but I believe I was headed there. I wasn't physically addicted. I had an addiction to my daily ritual. My mind had been wired uh, that alcohol goes with life. Yes, yep. exactly. What an effing lie we have all been sold. And I think I found the Annie yeah. Grace person yep. in the room. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I get mad when I started to get mad about it. Like, you lied to me, right. to my inner addict when I'm yelling at myself. You lied to me. You try, And so when my inner addict tries to tell me to do something, uh, I tell him to fuck off because I know... Uh, he does not have my best interest at heart. And I, I also yell at the, the purveyors of alcohol. Like, for example, if I see a guy delivering Miller Lite to the beer center, I go, you lied to me. <laughs> you motherfucker. You fucker. Take that alcohol and shove it up your ass. <laughs> you killed my grandfather, you asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure he's going and reporting back to corporate. Um, anyway, so this fellow Mike Ross says, um, I hate the term. <laughs> Yeah. From Smart Recovery, the term alcoholic carries a lot of cultural baggage and stigma. Historically, substance misuse has been treated as a moral failing rather than a serious mental health condition. Thinking about yourself or a loved one as a alcoholic, you can see my air quotes, is a limiting and pejorative approach that often downplays the fact that unhealthy alcohol use and alcohol use disorder are health conditions that can be resolved. Also, Alcohol problems are not a yes or a no issue. I do not believe there is a binary line between alcoholics and so-called normies. Didn't I? I think I just said that. Wow. Uh, I think anyone can develop an alcohol problem given the right circumstances. So you don't need to be at rock bottom to experience alcohol problems and want to change. It's important to remember that drinking problems can exist at any point on a scale between none and severe. Wow. Mike Ross. Yeah. Nailing it. Yeah. Um. Give myself a hand. Yay. All right. And that was the last of that because we've got some life update. I just want to give you an update. We have um, breaking news from the RMA newsroom. Uh, editor at large, uh, Grant B. Uh, G, uh, G Money Smooth just reported that he just heard from Paul Churchill and we are good to go. And, what does uh, that mean? He's, he'll, he'll be there. Okay. He's ready. To- <laughs> I was hoping he was good to go. Yeah. Like, so. does he mean he wants us to call him right now? No, no. Just okay. that he'll be All there right. at 10. All right. Um, and, and Grant is killing it, man. This is a huge interview. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, Grant, you are uh, 
You were like the Buddha of the RMA <laughs> movement. You know, uh, so, you know, get us more. An efficient, great. An efficient and Maya Zalovitz, he, he thinks he can uh, help um, connect with. So, all right. Yeah, we should definitely uh, take him up on that one for the new year. I have lots yeah. I want to talk to her about. Uh, so, life update. Um, we the, the big one of the biggest things that we're so excited about right now is this Patreon uh, account. We're like, this has been keeping me up at night, especially since we got a few patrons. I'm like, shit, we really got to put something out good. So this has breathed new life uh, into <laughs> into the show. Um, it's really cool. I mean, like. We could do so much stuff. There's like, maybe we'll make, uh, you know, Patreon can set it up so that we can um, send the patrons like some kind of like mug or branded RMA, whatever. Mm, and tattoo. they automatically send it to the patrons. Oh. Like, if we want, we could do it every three months. That sounds expensive. It is. But, you know, I really, you know, I, I want to do something well, cool. I, I have to say you surprised me with this Patreon. <laughs> so I know we, we had this in the wings. Uh, but I imagine my shock when, when not only did you create the Patreon, but then people started signing up and I was like, fuck, I have to buy Christmas <laughs> presents and produce content for I the know. Patreon now. This I, is, uh, it, it caused me a considerable amount of anxiety the other day. And I think I sent you a, a whole stream of texts yeah. venting like an asshole yeah, about- I wasn't happy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with it now. I've, I've, well, I've, I've, you know, and I appreciate the work that went into putting it together. It just gives us um, a goal. I don't know. Like, I mean, we already had a goal, but this sort of is like, what's our goal? I don't know. Our goal is to create <laughs> awesome stuff and help people recover. Oh yeah, and help us recover. I just had a deja vu. Yeah. Did we have this conversation before? Maybe on an earlier episode, Monksters. If you recall me and Nat talking about this, let me know. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I don't know, guys. I think this is something we're going to do together. Like, I'm asking the monsters who joined up already. We're talking back and forth. I mean, they're almost like a creative team, yeah. you know, because I'm like, all right, guys, what do, what do we do? <laughs> what do you want to do? So this is really I mean, isn't, that is the ultimate in, uh, in an amazing use of your fan base is that you charge them money and then make them come up with ideas, ideas for the Patreon. Yeah, it's but perfect. Like, it's fun for everyone. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you want to come, it's almost like being a producer on the show because... <laughs> You know, it's uh, so we don't have one, so right. We but we have stuff in the works. We're definitely going to do at least a weekly half an hour, fifteen minutes to half an hour. Jesus Christ, bonus show. We got to do that minimum, (laughs) right? I mean, this is good money people are paying. I've been looking into video systems so we can do some streaming stuff on there, and you know, yeah, mostly. I posted some pictures of me and Mike from uh, my uh, ticket issue when he was representing me in the ticket. So we're going to do some backstage well, posts. Did you see that guy, Bo, was like, yeah, I can't shit. believe. So then I posted Wait, a picture of myself in 1988 on the way to a dead show. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I here you go, buddy. Yeah. That was Bo that said, I thought that was Wharf Dad. Uh, maybe it was, I don't know. Because Wharf Dad is the, is the deadhead. I, by the name, I would assume. Yeah. yeah. So uh, come on there. Listen, we're still in the private group. I mean, that's our main, right? You know, we're always going to be with you guys. And that's the whole point of this thing. Right. Um, so what... Uh, what exciting things happened to you last week? We- you know, we were sitting here yesterday trying to think of exciting things that happened this week. And you know what? What? We didn't come up with a lot. <laughs> I know. I don't know, like, why? Yeah. I Usually I have so much stuff on my out. Like, I do a draft outline and I sort of journal and uh, write things down as they happen. So I could. And this week, you know, the, the big problem this week, there was. Um, I wasn't sure I wanted to talk about this, but a, a very close uh, family friend passed mm. away, um, and that really just fucked my whole week up. Like anything I was thinking about doing, it was Monday I learned about it, or maybe it was Sunday I learned about it. Um, it was a, 
uh, a member of our church, um, his family and our family were like, we're like family, family, you know, um, we know them really well. In any case, it was just shock and a surprise. Anytime a 29 year old passes away, it's crazy. um, I don't know the exact reasons, but I can only speculate. Um, you know, it was, um, probably not, uh, natural causes in any case. And then we had this heart wrenching, uh, uh, service at uh, at my church and and it was just it's been so difficult and it really has affected me because you know sometimes I think man that should that could have been me mm-hmm. and then so you know I was I nearly died uh, and so when I'm looking at all of the people there and the family and just the sadness um, and the sadness I felt I mean I was like a mess uh, I ended up having to just go home after that because I was just so upset. And even my kids were like, well, you know, like, yeah. wow, they're being nicer to me, you know, even though I try to like hide it a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That must've been really tough, man. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is a reminder that, and it really a great family. I mean, the kid just came back from South Africa building an orphanage, uh, literally like mm. saints, these people and, um, couldn't be more generous and it couldn't be a better family. And still this can happen. Yeah, it can happen. So uh, that was awful, um, but the upside was, um, not to that, but the good thing that happened was we had uh, tree lighting in town. Yeah, that was interesting, because <laughs> it was like it was also like 60 degrees that day, and the, it was like 40 mile an hour winds and rain. Um, but they do it nice, though. This Every year, it's gotten a little bit better. They closed the street down. They put um, burning fire pits in the middle of the street. Which, oh, really? I mean, that sounds like... I didn't see that. Mad Max, but it's actually nicer than that. Um, yeah, like a couple mm. pits. And then they have free hot cocoa for the kids. Right? They did a portable uh, ice skating thing. Yeah, but that is, which is plastic. I don't know. It's very it weird. Oh, it's one of those? Yeah. They had that at Woodlock. I did that one year, and yeah. I was like, this is ridiculous. It's weird. Yeah. The, anyway, but that was nice. Um, I took Ben down there because he mostly sits on the couch and plays video games if I don't drag him out of the house. So I got him out of the house. We went for a walk down here, stopped by your store. You know, I gave you a cookie. I gave, are you okay over there? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was messing with the I gave and uh, Ben ate his first apple turnover. It was a very exciting day. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Well, um, yeah, that's one of those things. They were um, they were asking businesses to set up tables and stuff like uh-huh. that. And uh, I don't like doing that. And um, I don't have a lot of inventory left that I want to sell mm-hmm. necessarily. Or that, I don't know. I just didn't want to do it. Um, and uh, but we, you know, I stayed open and we had some customers and people were. My wife and uh, Max and Noah went, uh, but it was it was a real problem getting my oldest to go. He just like, you know, it was this big fight. Um, but ultimately, I think what happened was his because all of a sudden he changed his mind and apologized to my wife. Right. I'm like, what? What happened? That's like, weird. Well, uh, his girlfriend Vienna uh, was there, so okay. uh, so she's good for for something. Um, <laughs> Getting nowhere to do things, um, you know, but that brings me to sort of, an, you know, something that I've been struggling with is you guys know I own this little sports store and I finally come to terms with the fact that I've got to close this thing. Mm-hmm. And this is creating quite a bit of turmoil, inner turmoil. I mean, I almost went through the stages of grief, you know, when I look back right. on how I was feeling about it, I, I was in denial. You know, that's probably why I signed the second lease. And um, 
I was, you know, angry, and finally I've got acceptance. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, right? That's the stages of grief. Oh, yeah, the the stages of grief. But, like, this is a, guys, this is a huge turning point in my life coming up in the next couple of months. I've been doing this for about four years. I put my everything into this. And, listen, I have to accept that it's just not coming back. And uh, I have so much more that I want to do. I mean... Uh, I want to put more time into this podcast. I, you know, I have this, you know, a business consulting, uh, part-time job right now that, you know, and uh, in the medical billing company that can, I can flip that uh, and do more. I want to get my MSW, um, mm. which is a master's in social work. I want to get my recovery coaching certificate, and I feel like I don't know. I feel like I'm ha- I'm getting a calling to. I just want to, you know, to help people who are sick and suffering. Um, I don't yeah, know. It seems to be well, like what other like when I write stuff for the show or when I'm working on this show, that's when I'm like excited um, and I'm just passionate about it. And I'm like, you know what? Um, maybe I could do this. You know, maybe I could do it. So there's a lot of possibilities. Um, if you guys have any suggestions on what I should do with the rest of my life, <laughs> or as my wife says, uh, what what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, it's going to be so. It's going to be a crazy next couple of months, so wish me luck uh, as I try and slowly back out of this um, quagmire. Well, what's the old expression? If you do what you love, you'll never work have to work a day in your life sort mm-hmm. of a thing. So uh, maybe yeah. maybe the pandemic and everything was just a universal synchronicity saying, yeah. Nat, it's time for the next step. Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, I've been talking to a few monksters, just like helping them through um, trying to get clean. And uh, and I, it really is very so rewarding and it helps me stay clean. And then maybe that's something, I don't know, maybe there's a profession. Just be mindful during the transition of... Uh, the potential for, you know, pitfalls in your recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Any big change comes with anxiety and stuff, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, so I'm... I'll keep an eye on you. If I'm a little on edge, um, but through this whole thing, I, I haven't drank over it. Not yet. Good, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave the door open. We got it um, by like seven <laughs> minutes, so... Um, All right, I tell you what, let's take a break, and when we come back, it'll be uh, to speak with Paul Churchill our interview today. Uh, okay. Okay. Can we do that? Sure. All right. I need a minute. We'll be right back after these words. We're back. And we're back. Okay. That was horrifying. We were just taking a bathroom break. It's usually horrifying. Yeah, and um, sorry. The, the noise. I know. Stop making I, the noise. I'm very twitchy. If you guys saw me on the Annie Grace YouTube video, it's, <laughs> my hands are everywhere. Um, I just lost the outline. I went up. We went to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I put it down somewhere, and you guys know I like. I need this thing. It's like my security blanket, and I don't know where I put it. And I was frantically running around the studio, um, but I found it. Get ready to. Yeah. This Paul. Hey, Paul. Paul. This is Mike and Nat from the Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast. How are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. How are you guys doing? Great, man. We were just talking about how nervous we are to talk to you. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so here right, we are. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, we really appreciate yeah. it. Um, of, of course. I'm looking forward to it. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. You're good. 
We got okay. your. All right, we have a gratuitous introduction for you. I'm going to read that first, and then we can get into it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, give me just a quick second. Let me get let me get some water. Sure yeah, thing. Sure thing. Why don't you? I'll just start going. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in 2006, at the age of 23, Paul Churchill moved to Granada, Spain, where he purchased a bar. Uh, During the following three years, he became addicted to alcohol, blacking out close to seven nights a week. Uh, But in 2009, Paul walked away from the bar, hoping a geographical cure would curtail the drinking, but he continued to drink for another five years until he took his last drink on September 6, 2014. In February of 2015, Paul launched the Recovery Elevator podcast as an accountability tool to quit drinking. Today, the podcast has surpassed 3 million downloads, is in the 95th percentile of all podcasts on iTunes, and has been downloaded in 50 states and over 145 countries. Uh, And in September of 2019, uh, and this is about the same time that I quit drinking myself, uh, he released the book, Alcohol is Shit, How to Ditch the Booze, Reignite Your Life, and Recover the Person You Are Always Meant to Be. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, Paul currently lives in Bozeman, Montana, loves to get outside and hike with his sober sidekick, Standard Poodle Ben. Uh, And in the wintertime, he does his best not to injure himself while playing ice hockey. Um, Paul, sat, saddle up and welcome to RMA. Um, Wait, did he come back? Yeah. Oh, you're back. He's back. Okay. I'm, I'm here. I'm right. liking that. I'm, I'm, I'm here right now. Yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Super, super. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I just on a personal note, Paul, it was really um, the, sort of the confluence between Recovery Elevator, uh, William Porter's book, and This Naked Mind that got me started on my own recovery journey at the end of July of 2019. Uh, I think, I think when I came across recovery elevator, it was the first time I had, uh, come across like a recovery mindset or recovery program that didn't sort of start and end with, uh, with uh, AA or with the 12 steps. And I I found that incredibly refreshing. And as somebody that uh, has practiced uh, Buddhism for a number of of years, uh, I found your approach to, um, uh, the idea of that of you, you not being your thoughts and so forth to be something that I had not really encountered in recovery before. So I was really, uh, I was really impressed by that. But uh, in, in the spirit of, of the moment, I, f- I figured I would start out with this question: um, If you could give some listeners some background about yourself, where you're from, what do you like to do for a living, your age, <laughs> do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Uh-huh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm that stealing question. that. I'm stealing that from your your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I've heard that before. I, <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's simple. Let's let's keep it simple. And uh, first off, Mike and Matt, it, it's great to be here with you guys, and and I'm honored to be part of your journey. Um, what I mean by that is, um, and thank you for, for saying that Recovery Elevator has been a part um, with, with some others. Name those other names you mentioned, Andy Grace, William Porter, I think, is the author of that book. Those are big names, and I'm. Uh, I'm honored to be part of your journey because uh, it's a difficult journey and there's a lot of resources out there and it can get murky at times. Um, so I'm always happy to hear when um, people resonate with the message that uh, that I'm disseminating to, to my listeners and stuff. So thank you for saying that. Congratulations on, on quitting drinking. I think it was a 2018 in there and a 2019. And um, yes. <laughs> congratulations. It's, at the end of the day, we're, we're all on the same day right now. So um, it's good to be chatting with you too. Okay, so... My name is Paul Churchill. I currently live in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, some exciting news in my life. I'm closing on a property in Costa Rica, um, about an hour west of Liberia Airport, northwest Costa Rica. I've been working on that for a couple of years, and 
So I'm not too sure what that, that's going to look like in the future, but uh, it's nature, it's outside, it's a very healthy place on the planet, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, Fantastic. And for fun, yeah, thank you. And for fun, I love to get out in nature. And as you mentioned, I have a standard poodle named Ben. Mm-hmm. We go out, we, we bike, we hike, we do a bunch of stuff like that outside. And music, thank goodness, Mike and Matt, is coming back into my life. That used to be a major healthy component of my life. Uh, early 20s, you know, I was in bands. You know, it was very healthy. It was healthy for my soul. And then the drinking zapped all of that. And I thought when I quit drinking, it would come back the next day. But it took it took a couple of years, <laughs> about three or four years for it to come back. And now now I've got uh, at my desk, I've got a keyboard. I've got all kinds of synthesizers and drum machines. And I do all the music for our event. Um, it's just fun. I can lose track of time. It fuels, it fuels my soul. Uh, it's fantastic. And, and for work, uh, at this moment, I'm doing the Recovery Elevator podcast and that whole project. We can dive into that later if you want. I'm self-employed, and um, I do not have a family besides a standard poodle named Ben. Uh, I got a, I got a girlfriend at the moment, but uh, that, that's where I'm at right now, and that's, that's apparently where I'm supposed to be at. Awesome. Um, you know, we, we were just talking to, well, we have a listener, our listeners send in uh, stories, you know, that they tell about themselves, and we read some of them on the air, and and uh, the one that we read today was by a woman who is uh, in the process of quitting drinking herself, and she's a uh, professional pianist. She's, I guess. An, orchestral she's an orchestral pianist. Uh, pianist. But uh, and and Nat, you know, Nat was a semi-professional musician, and you know, I hack around in the living room. But uh, but it really is noteworthy how much your talent and ability and creativity comes back once you remove the alcohol yeah it takes uh, a while like, as you said it does though but uh yeah i mean for a while we were just discussing this um how when i i was using uh using drugs and alcohol so much with uh writing and playing music that once i quit i couldn't uh i couldn't even imagine picking up a guitar or writing something just until you know maybe a couple of years you know so it does come back as you said yeah thank goodness Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I tried to force it a couple times. I remember I, I bought a piano like two or three years into it and it, and it sat in a box for a while. Then I played it once for a couple of years and, uh, and then, and then one day I was like, all right, now is the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it, it's come back full force and thank goodness. Cause you know, you, when you, when you're departing from alcohol, um, it, it, there's a balance, right? You got to be in the stuff. You got to be in in the why, in the why am I drinking? What am I using alcohol to cover up, right? There's a whole lot of blind spots that we need to reveal. But the second part of that is we need to find a healthy alternative to place our energies, to place our attention. That's not the addiction, right? Because the departure has to involve joy, laughter, things you look forward to, um, a life that doesn't involve, that doesn't require alcohol to to thrive in. And music and nature um, and animals, that has been key for me. And it's been, it's been the most fun science experiment, shall I say, just to see like what's working for me. I'm, I'm almost like the observer of my own life and say, well, you know, I, I like pineapple. I, I, I don't like kiwi. Um, mm. I like piano. I don't like that. It's, and, and, and just being so introspective of what is feeding the soul, what is good for me. And on the flip side of that is be cognizant for myself of what situations, what environments, when I walk into, for example, my body will give me a cue, a signal that says, yeah, not, not for us. And that's okay. We'll, we'll go to another restaurant or establishment. And, um, 
you know, at this moment, I, I can go to bars and I've been to Vegas like six times sober, which is like five times too many. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's not a problem, but sometimes when I go to, for example, I'll just, I'll tell this story. I used to own a vending business and uh, it, it did really well. I would had we had bars, like uh, had vending machines and bars and restaurants. Um, I had arcades all across the state of Montana and eventually I had to sell that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted to do recovery elevator full time. But the other thing is I could no longer walk into those establishments. So I was a sober guy mm. and I was walking into a couple bars at like noontime with, with, you know, like my bag and screwdrivers and stuff to fix coin jams. And it be, my body just kept giving me signals. of like, we, we can't be here. This doesn't feel good anymore. So listen to the cues, <laughs> sold the business. And, uh, now, now I'm doing RE full time. Thank goodness. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, what's the uh, AA expression? If you hang out in uh, the barbershop long enough, you're eventually going to get a haircut. Get a haircut so <laughs> ah, maybe best, yeah, best sure. yeah, maybe best to stay out of the bars, at least, you know, as a, as a business. Yeah. But um, so how much time did you have alcohol free before you decided to start the podcast? Because, you know, Nat and I, you know, I, I, Nat and I got together and actually, let me, let me just divert and tell this story because yeah. you, you are pretty much indirectly responsible for Nat and I starting this podcast uh, from the from the get-go because we both belong to your Recovery Elevator uh, Facebook group, the public-facing one. Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, we live in the same town. And at the time, you know, I was, what was I, about seven, eight months sober? Yeah. And you were like a year more than that? Yeah. And uh, I was just on surfing around one day and I saw that Nat had liked something on the recovery yeah. elevator page. And I was like, I know that guy, he owns the sporting goods. Yeah, store and our, our kids are friends. So we, uh, you know, I went oh, down no and way. sort of, sort of dropping some hints that, that maybe he yeah. was in recovery and so on. And, uh, you know, the rest as they what? say is just, history. Just from liking a, a page, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And so, How cool so. is that? And, and tell me again, where you, where do you guys live? Uh, we're on the, uh, North shore of long Island in New York. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. So it's small yeah. town, and we were both in the closet, you know, like PT, like Cub Scout, you know, leader dads, and we knew each other sort of peripherally. And then when that, I guess when Mike saw that, and he messaged me about something relating to our kids hanging out, and then it was one of those like tiptoeing, like, oh, so you like a recovery elevator, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? And then when we started finally <laughs> talking and we came out of the closet to each other, which sounds different than what I'm talking about. Um, really though, <laughs> we started to have these great conversations and after the first couple, I'm like, wow, I'm like, this is good. You know, we should record this, you know, maybe this, this could be a lot of fun. And so, yeah, the rest is history. But I, but I remember cool. um, thinking that you had, when you started uh, recovery elevator podcast, you had less than a year also, right? That, that is correct. Um, and it sounds like you guys, same with you. Uh, yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I had a little longer, but I mean, we were, it was pretty yeah. nascent, you know, the difference being, I came from more of an, uh, indoctrinated 12 step background. Like I spent years and years, um, you know, failing in uh, 12 step and Mike uh -huh. didn't have so much of that. So we both came from two different angles, which is actually really interesting because, you know, Mike basically got sober with the, the help of like your book and Annie Grace's book and didn't come through the doors of a 12-step. So we, we come from slightly different angles, but basically we're, we're really on the same page. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's I some commonalities, it. you know, to everyone's experience who's going through this journey, you know? Um, but I mean, you know, we had your, you know, we, we had your example of, you know, there's nothing that says that you have to have an X amount of time of sobriety before you can start talking to other people about sobriety. But, but I think you were pretty much like an innovator in that, in that area. I mean, um, what was that like having just a few months and then deciding you were going to go put it out there <laughs> yeah. to the world? Like an iconoclast. Well, oh, I'm not sure I even know what that word means. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, first off, I'm flattered. Um, I'm thank you for, for mentioning that. I'm, I'm happy that there's some, I think that's how this should work. And then some, sometime down the road, someone's going to reach out to you and say, hey, I listened to the Middle Ages podcast, um, <laughs> and I started my own podcast. So I, I think that's how this is supposed to work, which is fantastic. Um, so to answer your question, I got the idea for Recovery Elevator right about two months after I quit drinking on September 7th, 2014. I remember I was going to an AA meeting, um, and that voice of like, hey, Paul, we're two months sober. We got this. <laughs> and I was outside the AA meeting and I was hiding behind a tree because I didn't want people to see me. Um, y- you know, and like I had this voice of like, I got this. And another voice is like, we don't have time for this. We've been sober for two months. We need to get our life started. And, and all of a sudden I just stopped. It was this, it was almost like a divine moment. I stopped and the bigger me, the truer me, the voice says, Paul, you don't got this. If you don't go to that meeting, you're screwed. And if you don't do something else, on top of that, you're also screwed. And I, I love podcasts. And at the same moment, the idea of a podcast showed up. Um, and it was, it was, it was, of course, it was scary. It was terrifying. I went out with uh, a, a YouTuber that I know that's been very successful. And he said, yeah, you should do it. But here's the thing. You got to be willing to put yourself fully out there because listeners are going to tell, people can tell if you're holding back, you're not being honest, they're not authentic. So um, I launched it in February 25th. 2015. That was my first episode. So probably six months after September um, is, is when I quit drinking. But of course, I started working on it at two months in. Um, I took I took a road trip from went from Bozeman to Seattle, Washington, all the way down to the Mexican coast, down to San Diego, and then back just to just to map it all out in my mind because mm. I, I had the feeling of it was going to change the trajectory of my life, and it has. Um, but yeah, I just I just laid out the pros and cons. And it was risky. It, it's very risky to do this. It's such early time away from, from alcohol. I mean, I, I could have crashed and burned on a public, public platform for many to see. And, and that's okay if, if I would have. It's just the nature of the beast. But I recognized I needed the accountability. And also, there was another voice that says, look, if you can help people along the way, because my experience navigating quitting drinking has been very nebulous. It's extremely confusing. The whole the whole thing, the treatment industry, uh, I'm even just finding a meeting sometimes can be challenging. Um, and so I said, Hey, I'm going to do this. If, if other people resonate with it, great, but mostly I'm doing it for myself. And, and for the first three months, Mike and Matt, I was pretty nervous. Like there was a couple of times when I was going to bed at night, you know, I'm like episode seven, episode 10. I'm like, what in the hell am I doing? <laughs> um, but I can, I can pretty much unequivocally tell you that it's, saved my butt. Um, I'm fairly certain if it was just me, a couple of AA homies, Mm. um, which is how it was for the previous years, um, I would have drank again. And for me at the end, 
I had the luxury of knowing it got it got pretty grim at the end. There there were there there was no more palm trees, there was no more sunshine. It was me drinking alone, yeah. long binges, not eating. Um and when you get to that level, it's you're pretty close to the end and, and suicide was right on the horizon again, shall mm-hmm. we say. And so I did. I had that luxury of, you know, you don't have to start a podcast. You don't have to do all these things and but here's here's what's waiting for you if you go back out. So it was kind of like a life or death thing. Um, and then when I distilled it, not the best word for this podcast, but when I reduced it down to that, it's like, well, you could do this, you can do the stuff you don't really want to do, and you probably have a better chance of survival, or we could do what we were doing before, um, and I think I'm a goner in, in the next couple of years. So I did it, and my goodness, guys, I mean, I'm sure y'all, y'all know, I'm, I'm looking, on, I'm on your website right now, and just the... The conversations you've had with people in your previous episodes, like that alone, is just so inspirational. You're you're learning stuff. You're getting ideas from other people who have walked the same journey. And same with me. I mean, there's every time I did an interview, I had my pen on the paper, um, and I would ask questions, and I'm like, oh wow, I'm going to try that, and I try it the next day. Um, and everything in that book is is from what I've learned, and and the book that I wrote is from things that I've learned, and from things that I've uh, learned from the interviewees. Um, it, it's been, it's been an incredible journey, incredible, incredible journey. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Nat and I doing this podcast has been probably one of the principal reasons that I've been able to stay sober over the last you know few years. Um, <clears throat> you did something you said in your book that really stuck out to me. Um, I mean, obviously when you start a podcast like that, you are, you are, putting accountability on yourself in a, in a fairly big way, especially if the podcast becomes successful. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I remember in your book, you said, uh, uh with respect to a- accountability, you said, you know, there's, there's a few other things in recovery that are, you know, negotiable, but, uh, be, but having accountability is not, um, right. That's, that's, that's something that you absolutely need to have. And then you discuss the whole, uh, burning of the ships, uh, situation. Yes, burn the ships. That that when you talked about it uh, or wrote about it, it was the first time I actually heard. I think Omar Pinto also was mentioning it, but you know, you really brought that to my attention, and I, I love that expression. Yeah, sure. So sure, sure. And and here's here's why I think accountability is um, the the number one most important thing you want to build when you're going to quit drinking because accountability, and you do this by burning the ships. And I got, I didn't make that up. I got it from Hernan Cortez in 1519 when he sells from Cuba to Veracruz, Mexico, to Veracruz, Mexico to defeat the Aztecs. The very first thing he did was tell his, tell his soldiers to burn the ships. He said the only way we're, the only way we're going back home to Spain is on the Aztecs boat. Mm. <laughs> and guess, right. guess what, guess what the hell happened? It was for 800 years, people have been trying to defeat the Aztecs. Um, it just didn't happen until somebody burned the ships and gave them no, no option for return. So yes, this is a metaphor and analogy, but uh, it's based off true events and it's, it's quite powerful. So when you do burn the ships, you have these conversations that you can't pull back. You can't say, well, you know what I told you last week, Terry, uh, I, I'm, I'm all good now. It, uh, you can't do that. And so when you burn the ships and the, and the first person you have to do that with is yourself, Mike and Matt, you guys probably know this. You got to burn the ships with yourself and say, oh shit, I have a major fucking, I have a major problem here. Sorry about that. Um, I, I got to get real with myself. And then you have it, then you do it with other people 
And what happens, why this is so important, is because the community component solves itself or segments of it once you burn the ships. Once you create that accountability by you being honest with yourself and other people, then 99% of human beings, the way we are wired, um, there are chemicals that are produced inside of us, most importantly oxytocin, which is a connection chemical, where the other human being is going to go, oh my God, what can I do to help? I had no idea. Is there anything I could do? Please let me know. So when you create the accountability by burning the ships, the community component almost inevitably happens. Those people are going to be checking up on you. They're going to be mm-hmm. calling on you. Um, like when I first started the podcast, um, actually, this is a really neat story. This is a neat story. This is probably six months into doing the Recovery Elevator podcast. I used to own a sports league business. We did flag football, dodgeball, cornhole. It was really fun. It was probably the funnest business I've ever owned. That's cool. But I was setting up sponsorships with restaurants and bars. So after you'd play the game, we'd give you a coupon and you'd go and get a, like a you know, three thing of nachos and a, a pitcher of beer. Um, I pulled into one of these, it was kind of like a dive bar and around one or 2 PM in the afternoon to walk in there and chat with the owner. And I, I was in the restaurant and it was a dive bar. Like I, I'm glad we didn't set this up, but uh, I turn around and there was this guy that I didn't know very well. I was like, hey, uh, Brandon, right? He looks at me. He's like, yeah, yeah, you got it. And I could tell there was just like an <laughs> awkward look on his face. So I was like, uh, what's up, man? He's like, hey, uh, I know about your podcast. And I know I, like, I've heard a couple episodes. And I know you're like quitting drinking or you're sober. I, and I saw, you, I, I saw you pull in here. And I just want to make sure you're okay. Wow. Uh, wow. I was like, holy buckets. <laughs> and I just said, oh, dude, like this, this is so cool. Like this is how it works or supposed to work. So when you, when you come out about that, other human beings, they want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I found in the very rare, it's very rare when you burn the ships and you get a, a non-favorable response, but in the end, still favorable because then you just eliminate that toxicity from your life instantly. Wow. And uh, is that where the invitation comes in? Yes, 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 yes. So I think if you if you hang out, uh, I'm glad you asked that question. I think if you hang out in the uh, alcohol-free world long enough, um, well, alcoholism, whatever you want to call it, a disease or not, is really no different than, um, let's say, stage four cancer or something, or another terminal, or could be potentially terminal. It's an, it's an invitation to make a radical change in your life. It's an invitation to, to get to know you. Um, and, and, and I've, I've spoken with many cancer survivors. My mother is one of them that, that at the, after they get past it, they go, Whoa, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because it makes you, it makes you look at your values and you have to look at things and say, is that serving me? Yes. That's not serving me. No, that has to go. And I, I think people who don't struggle with an addiction or don't reach pain points that are that intense, yeah, they don't. They don't do that. They don't. They don't have the opportunity for a full clearing of house, for a full inner inspection. Um, I mean, these things. Everything serves a purpose. And it's called endowment theory in biology. And addictions, they aren't. Uh, they aren't. They aren't malfunctions in society. They do serve a purpose. Um, and, the, and number one, it's, it's recognizing that something's out of balance. It's the manifestation of an imbalance. And also it's, it's the opportunity or invitation to, to come back into your soul, to find yourself, to find what 
what inspires you? Well, what's your song? And you need to start singing your song. Wow. Um, to me, that also sounds like, you know, pain, like physical pain is just um, your brain telling you something's wrong. So maybe addiction in that same way is telling you that something internal is wrong. Maybe, you know, it's along those lines. That's uh, yeah, very interesting. For sure. And, and addiction, um, you know, same with anxiety and depression. Some of those, some of those things are healthy in small amounts, but acute anxiety, acute depression, um, those, those, even those serve a purpose. Like, hey, it's time, time to go within and uh, get, get the whiteboard out again or chalkboard. Start figuring some things out. Um, you have to you have to be willing to accept the invitation, and I think some people find <clears throat> it a little easier than others to to sort of visualize it in that way. Um, but you know, something Nat and I say all the time on on this podcast is, you know, eliminating the external toxin like alcohol or drugs, whatever, is um, is just the first step on a much longer journey. Uh, because unless you go internal afterwards, you're always going to be sort of stuck in that place where you're thinking, man, I wish I could have a drink or my life is miserable because I'm, I can't drink, whatever, because you, you haven't progressed beyond um, the point where you've just put down the substance. Right. right, and you stop looking at it as a reward. And like you, like you say in your book, alcohol is shit. Um, <clears throat> it's not FOMO. Like at first you have FOMO, your fear of missing out on whatever people are doing at bars or using. And, you know, once you cross that line, you get, and as you put it, JOMO, which is the joy of missing out because there's so many other things now that your, your life opens up to better things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think it was Mike, the, the first part of that was um, you, you, you hit moments that are challenging. Is that what kind of you're asking, Mike? Yeah, um, sure. I mean, you know, the the idea that um, that you have to first put down the substance before you can move on to the internal work. And prior to that, I guess I was thinking like it's it's easier for some people to accept the invitation and to see their addiction as something that will eventually lead them to a greater life. Uh, and I think some people really struggle struggle with that concept. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. It's, it's, so there's no when there's alcohol in your life, there's there's not a chance that you can you can self self reflect. Everything's skewed. Everything's cloudy. Um, emotions are exacerbated. Your 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 inner guardrails they're not there. Right. So you got to remove that stuff before you can do any of this any of this work. And and sometimes you can only remove it for a day, and then you go you back to drinking. Sometimes you can only remove it for a couple days. You know, most people think it's one and done. That's what the trajectory looks like. Most people think I quit drinking once, never look back. That's, 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 that's not the case. Right. But um, absolutely, it was, you, you, you remove it. And then yeah, there's a quote I heard that I love. Uh, if you want to find out why you drink, quit drinking, you'll find out real quick. Mm. And <laughs> you, you do. Yeah, every, every life, life is fast. Life is loud. Um, it's like the volume went from a five to a ten overnight. And, and you're, you, you have many moments of like, oh, this effing sucks. Like, I didn't quit drinking for this. And I've said that to myself several times. I didn't quit drinking for this. Yep, yep, and me too. Make the appropriate changes, listen to some things, maybe a different location. Maybe these aren't huge. You know, it's a pick up and move, but maybe it's a, it's a different gym. Maybe it's a different meal. I, I, I don't know. But then 
a really cool hap- thing happened with me was the, the Jomo part. Um, you know, I, I, I was able to go out to those events sober, had a lot of fun, did a lot of dancing, as I mentioned, Las Vegas a couple times. Um, you know, in this, this last year, I left my fantasy football league. <laughs> it used to be a big part of my life. And it was a challenging one for me, my goodness. <laughs> but I just, the voice kept going louder and louder. Of like, look, it's not healthy for you. It's not fun. Um, because we would do we would do a fantasy football draft in person every year. We'd all travel somewhere. And it was three nights of just debauchery. And they were so supportive. Mm-hmm. Like they always let me pick the biggest room. They were incredible people. My brothers in the league, so supportive. But this last year was the first year I didn't go. And I remember the weekend of the draft. I was sitting there. I was hanging out with my dog, like outside, watching the sunset. And I'm like, I am very content where I'm at right now. Mm. Um, and I'm happy they're, they're at where they're at. But it was, it was a Jomo. And it was a very thankful and appreciative moment. But yes, there was, there was a voice inside, and it, I'm glad I listened to it. Yeah, your brain definitely re- rewires to the point where the things that were, you know, you thought indispensable to you, you know, may not necessarily be serving you as, as your brain changes and you enter into a, a more sober lifestyle. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to sort of ask you a little bit about was, um, you know, accountability is, is, is one of the pillars, you know, that, um, that recovery rests on. And another one is, uh, is connection with other people. Um, you know, I think just about everybody from Gabor Mate to, you know, whoever else said, you know, says that the opposite of, of addiction is connection. So you not only started uh, a podcast when you started Recovery Elevator, but you also started a community and uh, an online community. And I was wondering how long after you started the podcast did you get the idea to start um, something that would bring people together, you know, like through Cafe RE, for example? Sure. Yeah, I'd say probably, uh, probably about a year after the podcast, I had a listener email and mention um, mentioned, hey, we should start a, about a Facebook group. Um, and that, that, that member is actually still in our, in our groups. His name is Robert. And uh, he's been interviewed on the podcast. Awesome guy. Met him in person. And that, that was a free group for about a year. And then we transitioned to the paid group, which was hard. It was a hard transition to make. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, we, we were able to provide better services. Um, it, was un, it wasn't sustainable. It was just, just a lot of my time. Sure. Um, too much, too much time to volunteer. Right, but, uh, right. And and then we did that in April 2016 is when we started Cafe RE, the the closed private groups with the paid model. And um, and with that, we still any email that says, "Hey, I can't afford twenty four dollars a month. I can only do one dollar a month." We've never declined. It, it's you pay, you pick the price, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, more than more than more than about the money. Um, and they've been going well. It's there, there are challenges like any community in person and online, but at the end of the day, we all come together and recognize the most important thing is quitting drinking and and sure there have been a couple disagreements in the groups like any group, but we, you take alcohol out of the equation and then it's, we can, we can handle it as adults and and move along. Yeah. I, I like the fact that you also sort of incorporate, um, you know, in addition to the online component, you have uh, hikes and meetups of, of people in different locations, different cities and so on. And, and, you know, you even arrange sober travel from time to time. Right? Yeah, they sound so awesome. Uh, 
Paul, every time I would hear you on your show talk about whatever retreat you were planning in some far-flung tropical place, I was always like, man, someday, someday I'm going to get there. But it's so hard to get away from you know family and my business and, and all this stuff, but that is definitely one of my you know future goals is to make it to a, a recovery elevator retreat in Costa Rica. Yeah. Well, Matt, we'd, we'd love to have you. You too, Mike. Um, <laughs> there... <laughs> I would I would recommend going on any retreat. Um, I've been to a bunch of them, but they don't have to be like ten day travel trips. But those were really powerful for me. Like I've been to a couple of meditation retreats, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Sue Mortar. That's so awesome. Um, we have our own retreats. Uh, yeah, there. What I it's it's a huge invest. It's a big investment in yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, we we love. We'll get there some one of these days. <laughs> do we? You'll have a. No, I'm just... Hey, what, what about we do? How about we do a meetup? And once you do one meetup, yeah, I thought I was getting lucky with these meetups because then they were going really well and it wasn't really much that I was doing. It's the magic of you get, say you get 10 people together who have um, the biggest theme in their life at that moment is quitting drinking and the pain points are pretty intense and most of them have been walking or going through life uh, suppressing most of that energy or emotions. Some of them hadn't yet to tell their spouses or whatnot. And so you get a handful of people, 10 people together. It could be a, just a picnic bench at a park. The magic happens pretty quick. Um, and it, it's quite fun. And, and you can see, oh, okay, the connection is a very important piece of this. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy, you know, lands in, uh, in Oz and uh, all of a sudden it's color. In <laughs> a lot of ways, you know, coming through uh-huh. the fog of, of, um, of the drinking fog or addiction, it, it really is like that. And it's amazing Most to see definitely. that in people's eyes. It's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned going on a retreat um, with uh, Dr. Dispenza, and um, I think his what is his his thing is um, that you're your own placebo or something. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's his. Um, I, I think Howard Stern was involved with him also. It's oh. it's sort of like um, he has this idea that a lot of physical pain in the body, like back pain and whatever, uh, is really emotionally based. Do I have that right? Oh, right. This is really interesting. I remember Howard talking about this. Yeah. Where <laughs> he, he has case studies of people who literally, you know, solved their back pain that was chronic and unsolvable. And it was through these techniques, the mental stuff. How, how do you see that fitting in with the uh, recovery, Paul? Yeah, there's a ton, a ton of overlap. And, and Dr. Joe Dispenza isn't quite in the recovery world. I've uh, been to two of his events, but you do meet several sober people who, or are, you know, that's an, that's an issue in their, in their life is, is alcohol. Um, yeah, Dr. Joe is incredible work. What he does and you are correct. A lot of it is working with the body and the mind and feelings as in the most powerful pharmacy on the planet is in your brain. Um, and, and injuries and back pain and inflammation, it's, it's much more complicated than, uh, than we perceive, especially in the Western medicine. Western medicine doesn't do anything for the source, but it gives you a pill or a surgery to, uh, to, to work on the, what's, what's hurting at the moment, but it doesn't, doesn't get to the source. And, and a lot of this stuff is vibrations. It is incoherence within the body, things not vibrating at the right frequencies, like individual organs and the heart and the brain. Um, he's really big on meditation. And with a lot of that stuff, you just have to get yourself in a quiet and peaceful, relaxed state. 
you activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part which turns on the calm. It's time to rest. It's time to relax. It's time to create. Um, and the body can do the rest. Because then there's millions of years of information in your DNA that, that the body knows what to do when it's not in fight or flight. And, and the issue here, Nat, in, um, Nat and Mike, I think living in the 20, 2021, and most, and there's a lot of anthropologists agree. In fact, most anthropologists agree that addiction is a modern phenomenon that we're almost living in a very low level grade of fight or flight. We're just, there's so much noise in our environment. So many dings, emails, phone calls, stressors, bills, job loss. We're just went through a big pandemic that it's really hard to get the body in a sense of calm mm-hmm. and a sense of rest and relaxation. Now, this is, this is huge with recovery work, right? Cause you hear, you hear, oh, you know, meditation is so big for recovery. And I agree. But if you sit down and meditate and you're almost in like a low level fight or flight, it's quite uncomfortable and really not much is happening. Yeah. Um, cause there's still chemical signals in your body of saying, look, there's a threat. There's a grizzly bear right outside that door, maybe inside this room. We gotta, we gotta go. And so, um, I wish I knew a little bit more about my nervous system when I first quit drinking, but at the same time, like I, I wasn't ready to do that type of work when I first quit drinking. I mean, it's kind of impractical for somebody on day one to sit on a, sit on a couch and meditate for 20 minutes. It's just, it's doable. But it's going to be painful. And, um, you know, almost maybe want to keep moving at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really um, interesting point you bring up. Uh, this is something we debated about, because, uh, you know, we talk about different modalities. We talk about AA and we talk about alternatives and sort of the debate when Mike and I don't always agree, like one of the things we're still figuring out is when you have a person who is, let's call it just for the sake of description, like a low bottom addict where you're, you know, in medical trouble, you know, you're, you're the worst possible place you've ever been. You know, is that a great time for you to try Annie Grace's, you know, 30-day alcohol experiment? Or is it more like a triage where, you know, you should be in a hospital first, then you should move to a more professional, you know, outpatient or inpatient, and then you sort of, you know, your treatment should like sort of evolve. I think, you know, maybe that's when an AA community is perfect toward the beginning because you get wrapped in this undying love and support, you know. But as you begin to progress and finally your mind can start processing things, you know, maybe you can move on to something like an alcoholic shit or an any grace program, smart recovery, and really start thinking about, um, you know, your addictions and what's causing them. But there's definitely that triage where, um, you know, when you first are trying to get sober, maybe you can't do all of the stuff that involves thinking necessarily. I mean, what do you think about that as far as someone who's like just trying to get sober, but they're still dealing with the medical withdrawal repercussions uh, in their life? For sure. Good question. I, I like the word triage there. And when we're specifically talking about low bottom drunks, um, it's important to remember what's on the line here. And at that level, it's always your life. And with your life, crucial steps need to be taken. Despite what the thinking mind is telling the person, um, the thinking mind is we need more alcohol. We need, we're not, we don't have a problem, but if you're a low bottom drunk, yes, absolutely. I would say detox in a medical facility. And if you can get yourself in a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day in treatment facility, just for, you need to remove yourself from an environment where there's alcohol. You need to put yourself in a safe, safe environment. And that's hard to do without, 
um, a treatment setup, right? Maybe you can find friends and family. You can set up the accountability. That's hard. But when your life is on the line, you got to go way further than just, no, I think this will work. I right. think I should be fine. <laughs> you you got you to gotta play it um, like it's way worse than it is because it is that bad. It's way worse than your thinking mind is telling you it is. Mm. And then I think kind of a window and opportunity in this space is, you know, a lot of people, oh, it's hard. Sometimes people crash and burn after, after rehab, right? They'll do 30 days um, oh, yeah. inpatient treatment. And then you hear it on the drive home. I ended up at a bar. Um, (laughs) So I think there needs to be more, more support after that. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously at a cheaper price point, because rehab can be quite expensive. And thankfully um, insurance is starting to cover that stuff, but you know, something that's another week or two, maybe outdoors, maybe with healthy food, um, more community connection. And, And these things exist. It's just, um, you got to find them. It's hard. It's hard to navigate. But yeah, low bottom drunk. You need to remove yourself from the environment that the addiction, that the addiction was was fueled fueling upon. Yeah, interesting. Um, because you know, a lot of the when you first quit, your mind is like really kind of Swiss cheese. And like you said, the whole fight or flight business. You know, is that is that your thinking mind or is that your your non-thinking mind. I mean, because, you know, in your book, you say that, you know, it's, it's, you're unable to think your way out of addiction because thinking is the driver of addiction, right? So you have to mm-hmm. separate yourself from, from your thoughts or at least, you know, have your, I guess what they call in, in Buddhism is like the watcher. You have to separate the watcher from the steady stream of thoughts that are going through your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what do you recommend how, that, how do you recommend that people start down that journey? Because I, I have, you know, a few ideas and I know, you know, what Buddhism says to do, but, you know, you're getting um, a lot of people who are getting into recovery and just encountering this idea that they're not their, their thoughts for the first time. How, how would you recommend they start down that, that road? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I actually want to cover a little bit more on my, my last answer there with the low bottom, with the high bottom thing. Uh, I, most people, high bottom drunks, most people don't need treatment or rehab. They can, they can right. do this on their own, but they have to, they have to put in some sort of accountability with a therapist or AA or things like that. Um, okay. And I like this, I like this, I like this other question. How do you do it? Um, and I am a firm believer that you can't think yourself out of an addiction. You can't read yourself out of an addiction. It's a great way to start. And it's the way most people do. Um, it's empowering to fill your brain with information about what alcohol does to the body, the dangers of it. Um, and possible pathways to quit. But the reason why, um, and there's a bunch, but here are the big ones is the thinking, the thinking brain is, is a snapshot of the past. Everything that's happened in the past up till now. And when we find ourselves in these difficult life situations, uh, life stressors, COVID just gave us, you know, hundreds of them each, mm. every person, um, the thinking mind will scour the past for what worked, what was the most effective way to get ourselves out of this immediate threat, whether it's physical, emotional, that doesn't really matter. And when, when the shit gets tough, when it's hard enough, that that's when alcohol is going to rise to the very top of that list every time. Um, and so that's, that's at the end of the day, that's not a good plan. It's just your knowledge. Um, you're going to need to have at least some sort of plan when the shit gets real, uh, of where to go, AA meeting, friends, family support, therapists, things like that. But a good way, a good way to start with this, Mike and Matt, is 
what, what you what you just said there is a very it's a very powerful it's a, it's a powerful saying that you are not your thoughts you're the one that hears it and and everybody I think you make a transition and this is part of the invitation as we discussed earlier is you make a transition from academically knowing that or or philosophically knowing that like you read it in a book and say hooray I'm not I'm not my thoughts but then mm-hmm. later that day they get a they get a thought that they're not worth it and they'll every chemical in their body latches onto that and says, yes, we're not worth it. So it takes a while to, it takes a while to start um, disassociating from those thoughts. And a cool thing is they're more awakened or enlightened. You call it whatever you want, but they're more emotionally intelligent people these days. And, and sometimes they're, they're Pixar movie creators or Disney creators. I saw a movie called Luca a couple of months ago. And, oh, great movie. Uh, yeah, the characters were saying Silencio Bruno. There's like a voice inside the head. And then the character was like, you know, when that voice shows up, just say Silencio Bruno. And it's neat to see that stuff in Disney movies where kids are, are getting that education now. Um, because that thought in the head, we are fully identified with it. And I think this is also the purpose of, uh, of, of what's supposed to happen with as being a human. In fact, the onk, it's like a cross with two circles at the top. That is basically what that representing is where we split at like the age five or seven, we, we split from source and we're fully identified with the thinking mind. And, and, yeah. and then in spirituality later in life, we recognize, Oh, we're not the thinking mind. We are more than a name. We are more than the bundle of thoughts that we have created that create our identity. And then it's separating that stuff. And there's, and there's no checkbox like, Hey guys, I've done it. I am no longer my thoughts. It's, it's a continual, it's a continual work in process. And sometimes you take a couple steps back. Um, but it's, it's almost saying, well, voice, you are extremely, extremely convincing, but um, it is going to be a lot of my life mission to see if you're full of shit or not. <laughs> and and that, it's perfect that you said that because I have a, that's a perfect segue to exactly what I wanted to ask you about next, which is uh, the inner addict. Um, and you talk about this in Alcohol is Shit um, toward the beginning. And I love this concept. I don't remember when I first heard it or started implementing it, but I found myself um, when I'm working with other alcoholics and I'm trying to talk them through like tools and techniques to, you know, to not drink just to get through the day. I've been relying on that a lot. Like it's your inner addict. It's the, the thoughts that are not you. Um, and I find it's very effective. It was for me to like identify this voice and to, to distrust it. And what I say is whatever that, <laughs> that addict inside you is saying, you do the opposite because they want you dead. You know, they're trying to destroy your life. So, you know, by identifying that and separating yourself, I think that's uh, huge. It's a, it's a big concept. I think that goes a long way, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I named my addiction Gary, like my <laughs> two, one or two years in. Um, and, a, and a year ago, I, I came, I was reading a book about Native Americans and, and their tribes and their traditions. And the shamans recognized that they first needed to name something or personify an illness or a disease or a spirit before they would, they could start working with it. And it, it, it intellectually or even at the cellular level, I guess you separate from it a little bit. You, you begin to detach that process right then by saying, I am me. That's Gary. That's Bruno. That's whatever you want to call it, but that's who I'm not attacking. And I also think that's an important thing too. We, 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 we go to fight our addiction. We, 
the war against cancer. I mean, some of these things that they're they're powerful messengers, and we we can't fight it. We we have to listen to what these things are trying to tell us. And once we name it, um, then we can start working with the addiction, working with working with those energies that are no longer serving us. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a lot we can learn from those native cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me, and I was just saying this earlier, you know, I'm a big fan of the paranormal and, uh, and those types of movies and, and stuff like that. And it's always like in order to get control of the demon that's possessing the person, you know, they have to find out the name, you know, and, and they spend all this time like, what's your name? You know, and when they finally get it, it's like Balfamet. Um, once they do that, <laughs> they have control, you know, they've got some power over this, this demon. And, and that's what it, I, it reminds me of in my twisted paranormal fantasy (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that's based off some truth there for sure (laughs) i love it well uh we don't want to take up too much more of your time yes we do well we could i could talk to you all day but um (laughs) we're okay what um what is what do you have on the horizon for uh recovery elevator and cafe re and all that i mean you mentioned buying some land in costa rica i mean and i think listening to your podcast over the last couple of years, uh, I think I recall you saying a few times that you'd love to set up some kind of a, a retreat center or something down there. Uh, so yeah, anything in the, in the, in the works beyond the high fantasy stage or Just give us the inside scoop. What are you planning, <laughs> Paul? Uh, well, well, first off, I, 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 a big thing I've learned is my pace was a little faster than the pace of the universe. <laughs> and so I, I want to slow it down. I, I need to keep things simple in my life. I need to go slow. Um, I almost put myself in a huge problem when I quit drinking in 2014. I, I, I and everybody does this. Not everybody, but I replaced alcohol with work. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's transfer addiction. It's way healthier than alcohol and exercise. And I mean, it's a lot of people do that. They quit drinking and then, wow, I'm binging Netflix or I'm eating ice cream. I, I got it. I, I just dove right into work, which was healthier, but. Um, I still had to, to rein that in and I need to slow it down. So that is correct. I did, um, I purchased a little bit of land and some structures in Costa Rica. I'm in the process of doing that, but I need to go down there first for Pablo, for my little inner child there. And mm. I plan on, I plan on getting to know the property. It's not, it's a little bit of land and I, I want to play the ukulele and walk around and see as many sunsets as I can wow. with my dog, Ben. I want to get to know what, what types of trees are there, what the names of the plants and species are. And I want to find as, as many snakes as I can. Um, and then when the ideas show up, uh, yeah, of course I have some, but it, what I've learned is I'll look at a tree and I'll see another tree and go, Oh my gosh, we're putting a platform up there. Oh, we're doing a zip line. Oh, we're, that's the sunset. Like I'm, I kind of want to wait and see if that stuff organic, just how it happens. Um, but it's the mo- but I do down the road. I, I love this type of work. And I, I do envision down the road running some sort of retreat there, or it might even be just Cafe RE. It might even be a coffee shop called Cafe RE oh, at the cool. top of a sunset deck. Like I, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but at the moment with, with RE, uh, I, well, we want to keep it simple and slow. We do probably three events a year. We have a sober travel trip. We're going to Costa Rica this January 15th. We do a conference style event. We're in Denver this March 31st, April 2nd like a hotel event and then we have a retreat event which is in bozeman montana that's like cabins kind of in nature so part of me wants to do a ton of events each year but we're still in covid and that's been yeah it's that's been 
my God, COVID has been a wonderful teacher. <laughs> it's, it's too, too good of a teacher at times. Yeah. Uh, just put, putting on events in COVID, it's like, holy crap, this is, this is really stressful. So I just got to keep it simple and I'm just got to go slow with things. But that is on the horizon. Um, and another thing I'm very excited about, guys, is I'm doing a sober ukulele course starting February 5th. That's, That's awesome. so cool. I just got a ukulele for my 11-year-old, and I've been messing around. I was, just playing, I was just playing mine last night. Were you really? On the wall. Are, you, yeah. are you serious? Yeah, yeah. That's a <laughs> bizarre That's synchronicity. So <laughs> but I, Paul, yeah, it really is. It's, yeah. <laughs> but, Paul, I love your outlook. I love your perspective. And one of the things that I get a lot out of when I listen to your podcast, uh, when you're hosting or uh, your book, it's this, you, you have a, a wonderful sense of the present and the now. And, you know, like, like just the way you described what you were going to do. You know, we asked you a leading question, like, what are your plans, you know? And you took it back and brought it back into the now. And you were like, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to just see how I feel. I'm going to experience it. And I'll be inspired by, you know, the trees. And, and I think, you know, of course, we have to do some planning in life. But backing off of that kind of thing and living in the moment, uh, I think that is one of the, the best lessons that uh, we could learn from uh, listening to the way you live your life and the way you conduct your business. It's, uh, it's really inspiring. Ah, yeah. Th- thanks, Mike, for saying that. About uh, probably a month and a half ago, I was in a coffee shop. And I was writing a, a business plan for this idea for Costa Rica. Um, and I was about eight pages, eight pages in. And I like doing this stuff. It's fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I just sat there. I was like, what, what am I doing? And, and, and I just, I shut the laptop, um, not in like a dramatic fashion. I'm like, oh, I'm out of here. I just, I just shut the laptop and started drinking my tea. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this right now for this project because I'm going to get down there and I'm just going to see what the universe wants to have unfold for, for this project. Cause, cause this is, this business plan is going to be outdated the second week I move in. Right. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah, just want to go there and see what happens. That's yeah. awesome. That We're looking awesome. forward to whatever it is, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to meet you guys in person someday, for sure. Cool. It's going to happen. It's it's on my vision board, you know. Get to a recovery elevator retreat. It's one of my, uh, (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, they're they're, they're fun. And if you come to one of ours and then you decide to do your own down the road, more power to you. That's, That's how it should work. Super, man. Oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out to Odette and the rest of the team over there at uh, Recovery Elevator. I, she certainly did uh, yeoman's work when you stepped away for a little while a couple of years ago. Uh, really appreciated her insights and everything. And, you know, she does great interviews now. And I guess, you know, that, that delegation is, um, you know, as sort of like a founder-led podcast. That must have yeah. been difficult to step away for a little bit, no? I, yeah, that must have been hard. <laughs> Well, I've actually, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned Odette and, and the team because the, the stuff that they have done has been absolutely incredible. Um, and, and it was, it was a challenge, but Odette is so talented at what she does. And it was, it was pretty easy. That part surprising. Um, and, it, um, but the team, there's, there's nine of us each Monday on a weekly call. Um, and it's, it's cool to be in a work environment where recovery is open. There's nothing we have, we all, we all know, right? Right. Many of us have had our, our interviews aired on the podcast. So <laughs> it's almost this, it's a work, it's a workplace, but that has deep emotional ties, um, where our own sobriety comes first every time. And it's not even a, not even a question, no questions asked, right? So that's what you got to do. I get it. No problem. Um, 
And I, I had a, it was, that was hard for me when I quit drinking. It's, uh, to delegate. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not the best, I'm a visionary. I'm not the best manager. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you right now, like there's a gal named K-Mac and Odette and Chris, they, they pretty much run Cafe RE and that. I'm there do the meetings and I have ideas and stuff, but they do most of the day-to-day stuff. They're so awesome, which wow. allows me to go to Costa Rica <laughs> and like get this other stuff set up. The ukulele course, yeah. that's because I have the time now because they're, they're assisting with other things. That's so great. And, and that takes a tremendous amount of faith, what you did. And I have, to, I have to say, as a listener of Recovery Elevator, I was, when you first said, you know, this is it for me, um, I, of course, of course, didn't listen closely enough to realize that you would come back. But I was like, what is this guy doing? You know what I mean? And I was a little bit angry. And I'm sure you got some emails. I'm like, how could he leave me? You know, I'm depending on this. And you know what? Ultimately, though... Um, I listened when Odette came back on, I was like, Oh, let me see. I mean, Paul knows what he's doing. You know, if he says she should do, you know, and man, I was glad that I did because she really carried the mantle, carried the message. And, uh, and you did, you know, you're back in, uh, doing the intros and you're, you know, back involved with it. Um, and that was that extremely like, how was that to like turn it all over and, you know, go away. And, you know, that, that takes so much self-control and faith. I feel like. Sure. And there's no way I could have done it in the first couple of years of sobriety. Um, you know, I do go to AA and probably once a week, right? Yeah, that's, that's even pushing it. It's probably twice a month. But there's no way I could have done that without learning what I've learned on this recovery journey. Most most of it's acceptance. Is just, hey, whatever happens, happens. Like you can't. I can either be upset about it or even happy about it. It doesn't matter. Those just those are emotions getting thrown to a life event. Um, and so, as I mentioned, fortunately, it was, it went pretty smooth and that's so talented, but it was, it was a great life experience, uh, just like training for a bigger stage later, I, I imagine. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, folks, uh, I would urge you to go to uh, Amazon and uh, purchase uh, Paul's book, Alcohol is Shit. It's a great read, and I and think you really enjoy it. Too. The Paul, listen is good, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, if you ah, do the Audible. You. Yeah, it's, I always love yeah, it. I read it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I love it when authors read their own works because you get the inflections. <laughs> the inflections are just right. Yeah, you know? sure. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you can check out uh, Recovery Elevator wherever fine podcasts are, uh, are available. Um, and you know, if you're of a mind, check out cafe RE and all the other stuff that Paul's doing. Uh, Paul, thanks a lot for, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And it was great talking to you. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. This was great. Really was. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mike, that the pleasure is all mine and, and keep doing what you're doing. You guys are helping a lot of people. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here with you. Thanks, thanks so Paul. much. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Hey. All right. Hey, we, we handled the most awkward part of every interview relatively well. Yeah, that was not bad. You were just like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know what to say. You I, don't want to hang up on him. I know I say this every time. We I mean, up. we could have gone on probably for another hour with him, you know, but he, he he's reminds, fascinating. Really, yeah. that was great. And yeah. um, I think we need to take a quick break. One more break. Okay. And we'll be back, back after these words. And we're back. Wow. Hey, we should go buy a big piece of land in Costa Rica and wander around 
on it and think about where to put the zip lines. I, I'd be totally into that. I love, you know, <laughs> I love talking to Paul Churchill and it's funny cause you, I've listened to hundreds of hours of him talking yeah, seriously, his right? book and, um, you know, he's, he's so genuine and you could tell like the way he is on his you know podcast and he's, he puts it all out there. And I got that same feel talking to him that I did with, uh, Joseph W. Nows, that sort of <laughs> Joseph W. Nows. You got to give him the whole, yeah. you know, so people could look it up and buy his book, <laughs> Straight Pepper Diet, um, or uh, False Graph, Robert. right? And I just got that feeling of that he exudes this confidence and equanimity, yeah, and just comfortable. Like he's so comfortable with how he's flowing with the universe that he can just buy, you know, <laughs> land in Costa Rica well, and like, it'll come to me. You I know? mean, like Annie Grace, he's, he's like the, uh, the scion of a, of a recovery empire yeah. of his own making. It's but very cool. It's, uh, it's interesting that he, you know, just started this thing as an accountability project and yeah. it became what it became, you know? And he's another podcast host now that has admitted that the, doing the podcast is like part of the program yes. to stay sober. So I'm still working on convincing Dave that uh, I think Dave probably doing dopey that. helps him stay sober. Right. Um, so long show. Long show and a little more to go. Should we keep going? Recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. <laughs> No matter how many times I hear you do that, it will still make me laugh. I, I don't even know when I came up with it. I don't I either. go back and listen. It's like your signature. You should like uh, go on like Cameo and offer to do that on people's answering machines yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, get us on Cameo and I'll uh, do your answering machine message. Yes. Uh, recovery in the news this week uh, is an article from the New York Post. <laughs> oh. Which I'm usually not. You know, much to quote. No. Uh, it's not my favorite paper. It's but, kind of a trashy um, paper. Anyway, the article title was Meet the Marathon Runner Who Used to Be a Crack Addict Yay. and More Extremists. <laughs> so I guess they got their their hook is the marathon runner who used to be the crack addict right. and then they throw the other extremists in Right, the bury the lead. I happen to know this guy, uh, not personally, although we've, ex we've right. exchanged a couple of messages on Facebook here and there. Um, Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. When, it. when it came to smoking crack, Charlie Engel was the best. <laughs> That's a good start to an article. Yeah. He was pretty good at drinking, too. Uh, it was only in his late 20s that he finally managed to quit and took up ultra running instead. Uh, three years ago, age 56, he celebrated 27 years of sobriety by running for 27 hours straight. Wow. Uh, part of ultra running is a desire to be different, he says. It's smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> And for the drug addict, too, there is a deep need to separate ourselves from the crowd. Uh, it, I love this part. It sounds crazy to say this, but street people would tell me, you could smoke more crack than anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a weird, yeah, that's yeah, right. That's me. Uh, there's still part of me that wants to be validated through doing things that other people can't. And that's really interesting mm. when you think about it. Um, is that a form of the, schadenfreude? Well, it's, I mean, the need for validation that lives inside of every, you mm. know, per person with an, an addictive disorder, you know. Oh, that, that, I get it. You too, know, they man. need to feel the validation from outside. So, so you go out and you run 27 miles because there's a certain amount of publicity and public attention that you'll get for doing something like that. Yeah. The article goes on to talk to um, a bunch of other people who also do extreme things. Um, 
But uh, there's a, a book, Everything Harder Than Everyone Else, Why Some of Us Push Ourselves to Extremes by Jenny Valentish, uh, examines what drives people to go above and beyond what most of us consider safe, tasteful, or <laughs> rational. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's this idea that if you push your body to an extreme like that, it's basically you're engaging in self-harm. Uh, sort of like yeah. addiction is engaging in self-harm. But is it? You well, know? I mean, yeah. for me, like I run every day. I get up at zero dark 30 and I go run five miles every single day of my life. Sounds painful. Even it is. And then I wonder, like I can't, I have a hard time taking a day off mm. because I feel like weird inside of my head. If I do that, you don't get the dopamine. I spike. don't get the dopamine. I don't get whatever that thing is doing for me. Mm. Now I don't have it to the degree of a Charlie angle where I have to go out and run. And if you guys want to know more about Charlie angle, he's a fascinating guy. Um, he was actually ended up in a federal prison this is not in the article, but he ended up in federal prison, not for crack use, but because he was one of the, he was a mortgage broker and he was one of the few people uh, in the aftermath of the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 who was prosecuted for, I think he, he filled out somebody's income wrong on an, a mortgage application, which every mortgage broker in yep. the United States was doing that, but they decided that they were going to make an example of Charlie. He went back to prison. He didn't relapse. He came out and he you know, in, embarked on all these crazy running things. There's a, a a movie called Running the Sahara that he is in, and it used to be on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's there anymore. Maybe it's on Amazon, but check mm. that out because Charlie is an interesting guy. But um, reminds me of Rich Roll, that book that we... Uh, Finding Ultra. Yeah. Did yeah. we talk about that book on the show? We have not because I was kind of hoping that we would be able to get Rich Roll on the show. No way. Yeah, He's coming I, on this show? Yeah, he went on Dopey. He oh that's right yeah but Dopey yeah maybe I don't know I mean I assume Dave's got his contact info right 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 um, <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, it's amazing I'm still like we we've had a few guests now not a ton but um and we just we're gonna have another I have a very big guest uh, that we just got to agree oh, to come yeah. on. Um, that's very gonna excited be a good about one. it. That's yeah. that's gonna be a surprise. So it's very cool that we're starting to get these people who you know I look up to, and um, yeah, it's this is definitely it's definitely be cool if we could get rich roll. Finding Ultra, yeah, and uh, so an interesting f stuff between the juxtaposition of self harm through quote unquote healthy activities and self harm through less than healthy activities, and that may bear some more explanation. Uh, in a future episode. And that's Recovery in the News. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the News. Sort of an abbreviated Recovery in the News because we're at the one hour and yeah. 46 minute mark. Hey, I could have kept talking to Paul Churchill forever. Forever. Anyway. Weak and weird. Crashed flying saucer spotted on Mars by who? Tim Banal. He was on Mars? He, well, he was writing about someone who oh, oh, oh. was okay. writing about right. spotting uh, cause something. If anybody should go to Mars, it's probably Tim Bonnell. I'm sure he's There's been lots there. of faces to investigate and whatnot. <laughs> well, speaking of things to investigate on Mars, an anomaly hunter scouring NASA images for intriguing oddities on Mars spotted what appears to be a crashed flying saucer on the surface of the red planet. Of course. South African researcher Gene Ward made the weird discovery when he was looking at a photo taken by the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter back in December of 2006. While the image may be a 
whopping 15 years old. Whopping. Whopping. <laughs> the researcher's fresh examination of the picture uncovered the curious scene, which has been hiding in plain sight for all these years. In the photo, a curious object with a distinctly rounded edge can be seen seemingly half buried in the Martian dirt with a long streak behind it. It's a rock. Yeah, you got to see this. Um, we'll have to post it. It's, there's like a video of him like explaining it. It's really cool. Indicating that the anomaly looks to be about 40 to 50 feet in diameter. Ward theorized that the oddity could be some kind of disc-shaped ship that, quote, hit the surface of Mars at a very low angle. Could be. Alternatively, he posited that the strange streak behind the peculiar shape might be indicative of a, quote, ramp leading into an underground entrance, definitely. Mm. Uh, While either fantastic scenario suggested by Ward would be undoubtedly welcome news to uh, UFO enthusiasts who believe that Mars was once inhabited by a race of intelligent extraterrestrials, it should come as no surprise that skeptical observers have a different take on the anomaly spotted on the surface of the red planet. Rather than a crash-flying saucer or a secret path into a subterranean alien base... They argue that the oddity is likely to be merely a trick of light and shadow. Yes, that, of that's, course. That's what I would argue. That's what everything is. It is a is. trick of light and shadow. Monsters, let me tell you, I'm, we'll put this on the show notes. This is a flying saucer crashed on Mars. Okay. Definitely. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no doubt. <laughs> no, no doubt. And um, yeah, this is a phenomenon that's happened since NASA has been publishing these satellite images of the entire moon. What, people have been mistaking rocks for flying saucers? uh, Well, that's part of it. What They have these people who call themselves oddity hunters, and they scour, because they publish all these photos, but there's 100,000 photos that they've published Mm -hmm. on NASA's website. And there are some people who spend all day, picture by picture, just looking, scouring, zooming in, and then they'll find something that looks you know, different. And then they post it and they do press conferences. It's pretty funny, but it's a whole... Everybody's got to make a living. Yeah, it's a whole thing. And uh, that is weak and weird. Uh, Well, geez, that about does it for today. (laughs) Well, geez. Well, geez. I know I had a great time. Did you? Yeah, sure. I had an awesome time. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Join the RMA movement at patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages for all the extras you didn't know you wanted. Uh, buy a t-shirt, write us an email, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, um, Facebook, Instagram, and tweet us at twat you twit on Twitter. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Please, we need some more reviews. Uh, and then we'll read it on the show. Um, find us at our private Facebook group. Uh, it's currently free. Um, after talking to Paul Churchill. Maybe we should um, be charging for it. Yeah. <laughs> but it. It's totally free. You just sign up. And, um, you know, we like to talk to you guys on there. And we have discussions. Uh, but the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. Yeah.